0: As much as I love catching fish, I also love selling them. It's good to really see where your fish ends up and see that it's the care that's being put in, as you know, people are loving what you're doing.
1: This is Fishtales, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. Fishing has been woven into the fabric of coastal communities throughout history. For hundreds of years, people have relied upon the resources that were bountiful around the coast of Australia. And over time, people built family businesses around commercial fishing and seafood production. Today, commercial fishing in Australia provides sustainable seafood to consumers across the world. We are rebuilding and protecting our fisheries, not just for the fishermen and consumers of today, but for future generations as well. That's why it's important to cultivate a strong base of young fishermen to carry on the legacy of today's fishery leaders. While commercial fishing is an economic driver in many parts of regional Australia, there are obstacles and challenges. Commercial fishermen are ageing, with over 50% of commercial fishers in Australia older than 55 years of age. And there is a shortage of young fishermen to take over from the current generation. 30 years ago, A young person who wanted to fish commercially just needed a boat, some fishing gear, and a sense of adventure to get started in the business. Today, young fishermen face staggering entry-level costs, high operating fees, and a level of risk that is equivalent to buying a pub, with equally the number of regulations, restrictions and demands. But there is a next generation of fishers who are coming through, excited about the future and committed as well. Jack Henderson is one such commercial fisher who, whilst having been brought up in a dedicated and successful fishing family, has a burning drive and ambition of his own for the future.
0: I'm Jack Henderson from Port Lincoln in South Australia. I'm 26 years of age and I work in the marine scale. I currently fish in the Spencer Gulf and venture up the west coast as far as Sojourner. Uh, my main focus is to target on sand crabs. We've recently bought a 100-pot sand crab license. So that gives me the opportunity to run 100 pots, quite similar to what the Blue Swimmer Boys use. And I also target Nanny up the west coast. We use drop-line systems for them, so that's a line caught. We, all our fish up there all icky jimmy, brain spiked. We like to
1: bleed them and then place them into a ice slurry. Although born with salt in his veins, Jack's drive and enthusiasm for fishing drove him to pester his father to allow him to pursue his passion for fishing.
0: Yeah, so a lot of it started with Dad. When I was old enough to go out, I would go out pilchard fishing that's he was pilchard fishing for the Puglisi family. They were a beautiful family. They paid the big bucks of Puglisies. They they would let us kids come down. I've got a brother that's two years younger than me. So we would go down to the boat. You know, we'd be off the off the boat catching salmon while they're unloading the pilchards. Then I got to about 13 and dad said, Rodio, come out. So I come out for the night. I don't reckon I say much of the night because I was quite crook and tired, but he said, do you want to go again? And I said, yep. And he looked at me funny. He said, you will sick tonight." said, I said, no, no, I'm keen to go. So it was just at the start it was it definitely what I, what I was expecting it to be, but it just grew further and further and the love for fishing just progressed. It's, it's all I wanted to do. And, I think Dad got to the stage where he's like, well, I can see what you want to do. So, you know, he was always giving me the opportunity to to go fishing, to come fishing, take me down to other boats, meet the skippers, learn about, you know, other fisheries. So it was good. Probably at the age, I would have been around 15, heading out with Dad. We had a marine scale license. Uh, we used to head out gummy shark fishing so we would have tea then would sort of you know cruise on out at 10 o'clock at night nine o'clock after tea fish until about two three in the morning come in and dad would say righto you gotta go to school I said oh come on we just got in at three in the morning can't I help unload no you gotta go to school so I did get opportunities to go out younger but it was quite tricky with school and dad always said you got to finish school or you got to go get a trade you're not going you're not going fishing so as the years went on at school I sort of I wanted to do a trade but I was so so interested in fishing that it was hard to sort of steer away from it so I went on to to get my skipper's tickets and my engineer's tickets and then Dad said, Rodio, you can do the 28 days on the marine scale licence. So I started taking the boat by myself at the age of 17. I was still in school, but being able to go out in the Adelaide Gulf, Gulf of St. Vincent, snapper fishing, and that was that was quite a hit back in those days. There was quite a large amount of fish getting caught. And you were really amongst the action. It was a it was quite a fierce fishery. There was a lot of competition so it really it really set me up in my fishing career to go and experience it and see it firsthand. Yeah, it was pretty daunting. It was there was a lot of fishermen over there and the fish were they they school up onto wrecks, hard to bottom, so you know, you could have thirteen fishermen fishing the one patch of fish and there's lines going everywhere and because i'm a new kid on the block you sort of you got to earn a lot of respect in the fishery so you can get it back so it was quite daunting going out there and you know getting amongst the big boys yet i'm still just a little fish so it was it was it was tricky i found it quite hard but once you get amongst it you know you you learn you get a bit of respect from the other fishermen and i think they can see that you know you're there for the good, you know, so it was, it was, no, it was good. There was no better feeling. We had been fishing the last two weeks previously to me taking the boat and the fishing was pretty quiet. So we went out there, there was a school of fish south of Ardrossan, off of Vincent. We, there was probably six boats working the school of fish at the time, And we were one of the boats in the fleet that had a sonar. So, you know, there was a fair bit of action on the wreck. We couldn't really get amongst it. So I decided to steam half a mile out to the east towards Adelaide. And, you know, everyone knew we had the sonar, so I'd do a few circles, make it look like there was a bit of fish action, get the deck of the throw the floats over and just pretend we started shooting and then all these boats started coming over and i said radio pull the floats in and we went quickly across the wreck and started shooting off and that caused a bit of a bit of action but that's how we sort of had to do it to get in there otherwise you get pushed out and we had a we had a few good lifts a few hundred kilos snapper and i was just just over the moon I could see dad was quite happy but he didn't really want to pet me up too much. He, he, was, he was quite hard like that, but I think he was, you know, quite stern and I think it made me a better fisherman for it. Uh, the first catch, we were fishing up with the Sikalellas up at Wakefield, so we went back up there, uh, loaded them on the back of the ute. Dad pretty much said, you jump back in the boat, that's where you belong. Go back fishing, I'll deal with the fish. So Dad took the fish into Adelaide. That would have been, you know, most of it, majority back then, was going to Safco. Cotton Hayden were taking fish, international oysters. He was sort of spreading the fish out, but I was I was too busy thinking about the next the next load. I wasn't worried about where they were going at that time. I was just worried about focusing on trying to catch them and let the shore manager do his job.
1: The Spencer Gulf is the westernmost of the larger of two large inlets on the southeastern coast of South Australia, facing the Great Australian Bight. It spans from the Eyre Peninsula in the west to York Peninsula in the east. Port Lincoln is a town on the lower Eyre Peninsula, situated on the shore of Boston Bay, and it's the largest city on the west coast region and home to one of Australia's most diverse and productive commercial fishing ports. And arguably some of the most diverse and productive fishermen.
0: It's quite a unique place down here at Port Lincoln. We, we're we in a in a pretty nice little spot down here where we have the option to sort of, we can swing if we want to go up the west coast or fish out here, depending on the weather conditions. Summertime, we have a lot of sea Uh That's generally when I'm crabbing because we'll get the warmer water, come up the gulfs with the sea so I'll tend to, tend to stick it out in the Spencer Gulf and be sand crab fishing. But every now and then we can sort of switch over and I can head up the coast. Once that swell drops out, we can head out Nanny guy fishing. So it's quite, yeah, it's a beautiful spot to be able to swing from side to side. We're not isolated as such as some other places because we're on the bottom of the Eyre uh, Peninsula. We're sort of we're quite lucky in the way that we can fish. The Spencer Gulf is you know it can be it can be harsh with the tides and the winds. it's quite short, sharp, and shiny in the Gulf, but when you go when you start going up the west coast, it's quite rugged coastlines you got you got swell, you've got limited access to where you can and can't fish. We you, you know. Some of the best fishing spots are the hardest to get to, so you find yourself you know driving up the coast, finding little beaches to try and launch on to get out to these you know these beautiful spots because it's so few and far between. Everything that you can think of it's 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 here, whether it be whales or sharks or dolphins, and it's it's just we've got such a massive fishing port here in Port Lincoln, so, you've forever seen different fishermen or fisheries and how they operate and it's it's just a really good vibe you can be you know 300 kilometers up the coast and get stuck and if it's not a farmer or another fisherman someone's always willing to (coughs) to help out or, or, or give you a hand so it's a really good community in that sense
1: Artisanal or small-scale fisheries are traditional operations involving fishing households as opposed to commercial companies. They use relatively small amounts of capital and energy, small fishing vessels make short fishing trips close to shore and their catch is mainly for local sale. The artisanal fisher is becoming more and more important as both chefs and consumers are awakening to how special both their job and their catch is. Hairy times. Uh, Just another day at the office.
0: Yeah, so I run out of a 22-foot Nereus, which is a a fibreglass boat with a half cab. Um, That's all trailable, so I'll tow that behind my ute. I can sort of... That gives me the flexibility of sort of shifting my effort from Spencer Gulf to the West Coast, depending on the weather. So I can sort of pick the weather, work out what I want to do, jump in the ute. And drive to where I'd like to go fishing. It's quite simple. When I go up the west coast, it's always good to, you know, put a deckhand on because it can be quite tricky at times. Beach launching, you got swell, and it yeah can get quite tricky. But it's quite easy. Two of us, one's in the Ute, one's in the boat. Back them in, and yeah, get ready for your days. Your days work. Yeah, I've had a few hairy times where we, we're a bit eager to go fishing and the tides tide's too low but I can't help myself and wanna get out there. And then you end up getting stuck and but yeah, with the swell it's there's lots of bommies and reefs so it's it's quite a tricky place at times. You'll be steaming out or coming in and you gotta battle the swells and in a little boat it can get quite hairy at times. That's that's what it's all about to go out there and you know catch these fish and and provide them, provide them for the markets it's just it's something that I love doing and it's
1: yeah it's it's just a beautiful place to do it the beauty of the artisanal fisher is to be both conversant and adept at many forms of fishing just as a chef may choose to broaden his or her skill set by starging in kitchens to build up experience, so too the artisanal fisher benefits from time in differing and broad-ranging fisheries.
0: So uh, between doing that, I I went off cray fishing uh, for the Rowe family here in Port Lincoln on the shooting Star. I was a deckhand on there for about three seasons. I then decided to jump off and go putrid, slash tuna fishing with the Blazloff family. on um, The fishing vessel Simone, I've done that for a year. And I said to Dad, I said, Dad, I just, I want to go back marine scale fishing. You know, I want to I wanna have a crack. He sort of looked at me and he said, <clears throat> rightio, we'll see if we can make it work. So we put my name on the on the license and then it was quite daunting because it's you know, it's once you put your name on the licence, it's you. You gotta fish it. You gotta so there's no working for somebody else and, you know, earning an income. It's it's solely off of you. If you wanna work hard and it was it was all new to me. So it's quite daunting knowing, well, can I make it? Can I can I do this? Can I earn enough money to live? So it all started from there. In the first couple of years, they were, they were quite tough. I was trying to settle into the fishery. We come into a, a three-year closure with the snapper, and the snapper were my – that was my bread and butter. So to have that taken away, it was, it was a, another step back, and it was like, whoa, what are we, we going to do here to keep going? So it was a lot of trial and error in the fishery hand lining with whiting and squid and trying to diversify and then I started started seeing crabbing and getting a real passion for it it was a real a hunt it was it was like snapper fishing all over it was you were going out there and it was you weren't sure if you were going to see anything but it was the hunt and when you found them there was just no better feeling you were you were on fish and it was it was just a very a very good feeling.
1: There are a few new fisheries that come to market. With a keen sense for the culinary quality and value of the local West Coast two-spot sand crab, Jack has made it his task to revitalise and develop this fishery with a view to making it equal to other crab fisheries from around Australia. Requiring an equal mix of technology, cunning and local knowledge, his approach is both practical and visionary. So with
0: the crab fishing, I based, a lot of it was out of my 22-foot years. So we have a shed located in Port Lincoln, just outside the marina. I've got all my ice machine, my chillers, everything out here, so this is, this is base. So I'll, every morning you'll come down, you'll have your ice machine running, load up your ice, go collect bait, get ready for the day i would head out in the nearest we're allowed to run 10 hoop slash drop nets so we're only allowed a combined of 10 10 nets so we'll go out fishing we'll set those nets off those nets are just um, connected with a buoy line with a float on top of the surface we will set our 10 pots where we think the crabs are it's sort of at the start it's a bit of a guessing game you sort of move in your gear around until you find the crabs and then once you find the crabs you sort of you got to stay with them because they can they can disappear so so quickly the tide can change they can they'll start crawling to the east to the west so it's it's quite a you really got to be on the money and you got to be quite focused because they're they're forever shifting and then after doing that for three years I said, Dad, there's there's gotta be an easier way. There's these hundred pot sand crab licenses. So we bought one of these and it's a funny story because Dad and Harpo used to own this license, you know, eighteen years ago, and we've we've ended up buying it back. Dad said, if I knew you were gonna be a crab fisherman, we would have bloody kept it. But So we've bought this license and that allows us to run a hundred pots. We were Dad had sold the pots that he used to own. So we got in contact with the Barnes boys up at Broughton. They were lucky enough to help us out. They were amazing. Helped us out with some pots, got us all started. And then I started running them out of a 50-foot west coaster called the Joby 2. And from there, it's just been a lot of trial and error. It's I can... You know the fish will work good in the shallow. They're harder in the deep. It's it's been a tricky fishery, and uh, no one has cracked it yet. It's but I'm very determined, very determined to to turn it into a fishery, and I can I can see potential in it. So at the moment I've got the pots back in the shed, and I'm back into running the little boat. At the minute it's the downtime of the season, so this time of year's in the shed doing a lot of maintenance and then we'll try and crank back up around around October, November, depending on the season and, and that water temperature. The water temperature is a, plays a pretty big part in how it affects the crabs, so until then we'll pretty much get ready and be blazing ahead out there. Uh, probably ninety percent of our crabs are sold into Melbourne, into the Melbourne market. It's been a tricky one with the sand crabs. They're a very delicate species. They they tend to tend to want to go black under their gills, which that is just a visible a visible sign of you know because their shell is quite transparent and it's a lighter color. This doesn't affect the quality of the of the meat or the flavour. It's just quite a visible thing. But majority of it will go to Melbourne. We'll send a little bit into Sydney and South Coen. There's a few restaurants and retail buyers in Adelaide uh, that will purchase them. And through the through the bigger months when the price can price can drop a fair bit in Melbourne, so it gets a bit tricky. So we've started to to roll our own meat out and try and do a bit of value adding we pack them into 500 gram packs and 250 gram packs to send off to chefs and retail stores from adelaide melbourne sydney we've had some go over to the west to feel over at Finns. so it's been a real a real trial and error and just trying to trying to build the market up and and get it out there to everyone to try.
1: Being able to work the seasonal cycles of seafood demands flexibility, knowledge, and a range of skills across a range of fisheries. For Jack, winter means a completely different fishing method and location, but with the same focus on quality, he's earned a reputation for being a quality producer.
0: Yeah, so through the winter times, we will put the pots in the shed and we'll focus a bit more on the scale fish, uh, mainly nannyguy or bite redfish, as it's called. It's quite a tricky, a tricky one. They're very conditional fish. We find if the swells too large, the fish will move off the lumps. You got to have flat, calm conditions because you're travelling. You're travelling so far, and you're you're trying to fish in some pretty rugged country. So. You need all your stars to line up to be able to access access some of these places. It's quite a tricky one. There's you know every now and then you might be able to go four times in a month, or you might get to go one in three months. It's it's limited access. So when we're we're forever looking at our phones, I'm looking at the weather gun. Can I go? Can I go? And then bam, you're ready. So you you're in the shed. You're getting everything ready. Head up there. It's always beautiful conditions when you go out because you want it to be flat calm. You're in you're in quite a small boat, so the elements have to they have to be you know well suited to the boat. We'll head out there. I I use a fishing method of drop lining for nanny guy. So we'll we'll come up to a lump. Um, we're looking for fish on the sounder, so nanny guy will come up quite well on a sounder, so we'll sound around the lumps and we'll look for fish. Once we find some fish, I'll throw the rod over, just get it down the bottom and and just see what the fish is like. Sometimes we'll we'll pull up to a lump and we'll think it's nanny guy, but it can be, you know, snapper or or leather jacket. So it's it's yeah, forever forever putting the rod down and just seeing what's there. Once we if I get a double header, I sort of get a fairly good idea that we're on a school of nanny guy. And then we'll set up the drop line. So the drop line's it's got a weight down the bottom and it hangs vertically in the water. It's just like a buoy line. But with the bottom, you've got a lead weight. And then depending on the lump and the fish, we'll run anywhere from from five to, to 25 uh, drop line hooks. The drop line hooks are they're quite short, they're probably 20 centimetres and they'll, they'll hang out off of your main lawn and they'll be quite close together. And the nanny they're quite unique in the way that they will, they will keep swimming higher and higher. So, you know, your lump could be, you know, you know we're fishing anywhere from 50 to 100 metres of water and your lump might come up fifteen metres, ten metres, five metres, depending on the lump and where the fish is sitting. But you know, the fish can they can swim up 15, 20 twenty metres in the water column to be to go for your hook. So it's quite a quite a unique fishery in the way, and they're they're just a beautiful looking species. They're they're bright red, they've got beautiful big eyes, and they yeah, they're just a beautiful fish. They're very, very underrated. I believe they. You got to go so far, so far to get them, and they're just. If they're treated with the love that they deserve, they are a very, a very premium fish, sashimi grade. That icky Jimmy, the brain spike, and the clip under the gills to bleed them. It's it preserves that meat, and once you've put in a slurry to get that core temperature of the fish down towards zero it's there's no better way but you got to be careful too with the slurry as cold as you do want them you sort of affect their eyes and you can get them quite cold so it's quite a balance of pulling the fish straight out of the water and giving it the you know the icky jimmy and the bleeding them and getting them in there and getting them getting them cold and stiff and then packing them out straight away individually into eskies and you know we like to soldier stack them and keep them upright and then put sheets of plastic over the top before we ice them all these things all these things help and that's what we're trying to do when we send these fish to the market is is show people that we're giving giving the fish you know what it deserves to give it a premium product
1: The Ocean Watch Master Fisherman Program was designed to raise the standard of responsible fishing in Australia. Master Fishermen are committed to ensuring that the individual fishing practices go above and beyond the requirements prescribed by state, national and international regulations. Jack is a star graduate of the 2022 Master Fisherman Program.
0: Yeah, the Master Fisherman's course was good. I was... As a fisherman, yeah, you know, we got told about this course, oh, it's, you know, we got this, and it's, oh, yeah, that'd be great, but as a fisherman, if the weather's good, I'm, I'm in the boat. But it was lucky enough that this day was, it was terrible, it was windy, it was blowing, so I said, righto we'll go to this course. Um, Woody was there, he was the a main, main bloke, and he was just an absolute, absolute cruiser. He was, he made you feel really, really welcomed, and it was... It was good being a one day course because a lot of fishermen, you know, it's, their life is fishing. So to go out and go and do something, it can be quite tricky. So I found that being a one day course, it was, it was easy. It's only, it's only one day and I gained, I gained a lot out of it. It was, it was good because it was right up my alley. It was, you know, we're all about being sustainable and, and the way we treat our fish and, you know telling the community that we're you know we're doing our best to keep the fishery in the you know in a pristine condition. Our methods of fishing are you know we're very limited in what we can and can't do.
1: Having the opportunity to move upstream in the supply chain, Building direct relationships with chefs and retailers is just another part of the job for a young operator in the commercial seafood sector.
0: Yeah, I think the future's bright. It's everybody's, you know, starting to to get on board and really showcase their product. Everyone's everyone's going away from this, you know, catching volume, volume, volume. It's sort of getting to a point where we're really wanting to showcase our product, and a lot of people are wanting to put their name to their product, which I think is great because if you're willing to put your name, your name on your product, that means you're proud. You're proud to be to be sending your fish and have your name like with our nanny guy. We we tag our fish and we just put a little Henderson Seafoods logo on it, but it's it's all these little things that you know really grab fish buyers and consumers eyes they they can see the care taken and it's it's really good to then get you know you can send fish to sydney and then social media instagram bam someone's got your fish oh beautiful fish henderson it's all it's all those little things that really really get it out into into the community and and boast your boast your name
1: It's said that fishing adds years to your life and life to your years. For a young person to be so passionate and committed to a craft is both an inspiration and a motivation. If Jack were a chef, I'm sure his recognition would be across national daily papers and monthly periodicals. Oh,
0: I love it all. It's just being on the ocean, there's there's nothing like it. When I, you know, on the shore it's... It's all cruisy, but when it's when you're out there, it's you know you just strive to be strive to be the best. You wanna you wanna be out there catching fish, and you just you just got this hunt inside you to to find them, to find the fish, and to get the fish, and then treat that fish and get it onto the market. It's as much as I love catching fish. I also love selling them. The you know, to catch them all the time, the effort, everything involved, to then just go send it away and not know what happens, it's it's good to really see where your fish ends up and see that it's, you know, the care that's been put in is, you know, people are, people are loving what you're doing.
1: While the international community has taken steps to reduce overfishing, the future of commercial fishing remains uncertain. Proper management has allowed some fish populations to rebound, but others continue to decline. The quality of Australian fisheries managers is providing a beacon of positivity in the world of commercial fishing, which should be recognised and celebrated. Young professional master fishermen like Jack Henderson deserve commercial return and a broad community recognition for their special contribution to the ongoing Australian culinary landscape. This is FishTales, a seafood podcast, a Deep in the Weeds production. I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Seafood Podcast, or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.